0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. So uh, today I invited one of my close friends that I knew since um, Foundations. And I knew that he he was uh, studying in Taylors. But then after that, he transferred to UCSI. And I still can remember that at that time, he still um, sort of struggled. And try to decide whether he should defer to another school or uni or not. So, but but the good thing is, even though he studied into a different university, but still we are keeping in a good contact. So, how are you, Yujing?
1: How are you doing? Hi, Gary. It's fine. I'm here in Geelong studying master in architecture. Uh, also in uh, lockdown currently, and hoping things to get better. Yeah, I mean we are all
0: facing the same situation. Um, toward this pandemic outbreak, which is, uh, I think it's a, it's a good time for us to do a podcast that we can communicate online. So I'm, I'm curious that, so now you are doing um, your master in Deakin at Geelong. So how's the assignment going so far?
1: Oh, uh, compared to Malaysia, it's a rather very, uh, I would say it's more relaxed. This relaxation actually gives me a lot more time to think and also more space for me to develop my ideas. Uh, right. It could be good and bad depending on uh, which kind of uh, working style that you're adopting. So uh, for me, it is it is quite good. Yeah, because I get the time to consolidate my ideas and slowly uh, develop them in my own time.
0: Okay, so I have noticed that reading, it becomes part of your hobby and you read a lot and you share the books that you read on social media as well. And I, I found... I found a sort of uh, phenomenon, or I've been told by a cert, uh, a good friend, saying that you know architects they don't read a lot, but I don't really agree because I do see some people they they read quite a lot. But it's just that I think in in the nature of our profession, we
1: just work a lot instead of reading. What do you think on that? Well, I I think uh, in our industry is a creative industry and. Uh... Uh, in a creative industry, uh, it primarily distinguishes itself from the concept that we must use a lot of ideas because without ideas, we are not creative at all. As to how do we get those ideas, for me, it is uh, reading is one of the ways. You can uh, watch movies, you can uh, listen to music, you can uh, be in some physical creative sports, for example, like uh, dancing or acrobatics or whatever that uh, gives you new ideas. But uh, reading for me is the main part of my idea gathering. And uh, I think that actually designers, they do read much. It's just that a lot of them do not post it on social media. So uh, yeah, so I think that uh, I think the notion that designers don't read much, I think it just depends on how much a person likes to show (laughs) what they've read. Like for me, I I like to uh, show what I read so that I can get uh, some reviews from my friends who read the book, what do they think about it, and right. we can discuss different ideas. And sometimes I could mail the books to them and then uh, they re- and then have them read it, and then they would tell me what's the summary of what they learned so we can have like a discourse and a discussion there to see what happens. Right. Uh, and then we would have developed even, I would say, a sharpened sharpen sense of creativity so that uh, we do not rely on the ideas that we already have, but we can add on new ideas to what we previously gathered in terms of knowledge, and then implement them into our design in the future.
0: Right, right. Yeah, because we um, back in the days when we were in uh, Malaysia, and I could recall that both of us actually sort of discussed about a book by Robert Kwok. And one of the quotes from, from the author is saying that reading is good, but not to read too much because working can be therapeutic. And I understand that your reading habit is not just for leisure, recreational purpose in a way that is just to killing time, you know. It's all about to gaining a new knowledge from a new resources. So I wonder how does that create a new hobby or habit into you? So does it, does it comes to you in a way that you're encouraging yourself to read more or... Is there any external factor that pushing you to read more? Maybe from family, or is sort of, or is maybe it's sort of like an epiphany. You think that oh, I should read more. Uh,
1: for me, I think one of the reasons is one of them is uh, uh I'm bored. Uh, that that is one of the reasons. a uh, right. True reason. And one of the reason is uh I find myself constantly looking for different answers to the same question. Right. Like uh if, after if you read. A book you will realize that one question has actually a lot a lot of answers yep, exactly. and then you yep. can actually pick and choose from the different answers that different books provide you and then also books i think it is is actually like book a book is a hack uh right. which i would say that uh someone gives 30 or 40 years of knowledge into one condensed 300 page and if you read it you can actually hack your life uh, as I, I would put it uh, although I'm having some time trying trying I'm trying my best to hack my life as right. much as I can to bring myself to a better place and stuff like that so I think uh reading it is also pleasure and it's also uh yeah it's also research yeah it's also giving yourself more methods uh giving yourself more techniques to take action in the near future or at the present so you would think more long term and then you you won't be very surprised if something happens out of the blue you were like oh I have already have an idea on how should I uh, tackle this problem or is there another way to evade the problem in the first place
0: yeah, or, yeah
1: the problem is actually a very small problem and because that I never read about it I think that is a big problem so it becomes like a like a huge thing for me and I become overreacting right I think reading really does gives a lot of exposure to things that have not happened to you but it gives you a heads up of what you yeah. can do before yeah. the thing happens to you yeah. I
0: agree with your saying in that sense, because I'm aware that kind of so-called like a habit or so-called like a memories that build in your mind, even though you don't remember certain things from books, but you have the gesture of flipping through the books and you saw or you read through the Pictures or words, and it somehow will eventually build in your mind, and it will comes to use when when you just think about a certain topic, it will just comes to your mind. So and and I I recall or I I see that you read quite a lot of books about business, and I mean we we talk about business and architecture is sort of inevitable in a way that we need to sustain um, a profit or a certain income for the company to run. and But the thing is, I find it uh, sort of lacking of this sector in our uh, architectural education. And I mean, we do learn about business, but it's just that it's not intensive enough. And in that sense, it's created a lot of students when they come out, if they wanted, and they come out and f- create their own studio, for example. And they find it struggle to maintaining a certain commercial or financial performance. What do you think on that?
1: Uh, I think uh, there's a few parts uh, to this question. I'll try to answer it uh step by step. Okay. Um, the first is I think that uh schools in general, not just uh architecture, other than business, they actually uh, they actually lose touch in with business um, education, which means that uh there's a joke that says uh, I can do four years of calculus, but I cannot. I cannot do my balance sheet. Yeah, and that is actually a very serious problem. Imagine, like, if you just graduate twenty-four years old, and then you get your first paycheck, and you don't actually know how does the money come and go. It is right. actually, uh, it is actually quite a necessity for you to know because I mean, what, what are we, what, why are we even going to work if there's no money, right? It's common sense. Nobody works because they really love work, and then they are too free on a Friday or something like that, right? right. So I was thinking that. There is this thought, uh, maybe it's just for me, but design and business is separate. In school, I have gotten the yeah, impression yeah. that design and, and uh, business is separate, but I don't think so because let's uh, let's take the word architecture industry. Mm. What it means is architecture, design, industry means business. Mm-hmm. right? So you must have both. You cannot just have one particular knowledge. Because if you only have architecture without business, how are you going to build the architecture, right? Right. right. So if you just have business, but you don't have the architecture, you also cannot build the architecture. So you, you must have both, and then I see that schools have already uh, prioritized the design part, but they do not prioritize the business part as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say that uh, the tutor always asks you to, you must satisfy the client, you must know what the client wants, right. but nobody teaches you how to get the client. Right. And then that is just, I think is a big, a huge paradox, because how would you start a project if you don't even have a client in the first place? So right. I think in a way... We the school should teach students how to get a client, or at least formatively or formally how or how to get the first client or something like that, hmm. or it wouldn't work at all. So I think uh, there must be we must we must find a certain uh, balancing point, I guess, between okay. uh, not just talking purely about design and then also bring in the business part to our education as well. So.
0: Yeah, because I agree with you in a way that because we've been doing projects that we're assuming we do have a client, and but we didn't go through the process. It's like pitching a project to a client, for example. Okay, so next thing I was wonder about your abroad study master's in Australia. How does the decision comes from? Because I remember that you made a trip down to Australia before you enrolled for master's with your brother. So is that becoming like part of your um, decision-making impact for you to choose Australia?
1: Uh, okay, I will uh, give you a brief take on how did I choose architecture in the first place. Right. So uh, in the first place, we, before I enrolled in foundation, I just finished my SPM and then I do not know what to study. So I right. asked my father and he was an engineer. Right. And I asked what is his boss, boss's position and he said his boss was an architect. So I just say, okay, I'll just study that because I cannot do mathematics. So, right. I just uh, studied architecture. And then, throughout the years, I, there comes a point where it is, it is shown to me that if you just graduate from degree, you wouldn't uh, have much, uh, let's say, level up. You will not have much level up in the architecture business uh, starting out like that. So, I will pursue my master's in Australia. And then, let's say the choice, uh, why did I choose Deakin University? Because... It is one of the first that is recognized by Lamb to be one of the registered architecture schools that is accepted in Malaysia. So that is an obvious choice. And then, uh, why Australia? Yes, uh, because I am the kind of person that would actually function and also uh, do well in, situ- in uh, places that I am quite comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So Australia is a place where I had visited a few times with my parents. So that definitely has some influence to me. And then... Uh, I think maybe it's also part of my father's brainwashing to to want me to study in Australia. That's why he brought me and my <laughs> brother to Australia a few times. So I think if you add all of them up, I think pretty much quite the right route. Yeah, it's quite clear.
0: Mm-hmm. And you did mention that you don't really sort of get fond with mathematics. But I think eventually that you... In, in architecture, that you have to deal with mathematics as well, right? Uh, yeah,
1: but uh, I think in architecture... In terms of mathematics, we have to think of it as a tool, not and not an end. Uh, think of it as a means, but not the end itself. Because I think in the future, I mean, not even even the future. I mean, even now, we can just dial up whatever uh, formulas we need online, and then we can use the formula. So I think it wouldn't be that hard. It is not needing you to calculate on the spot like an exam. So I think uh, I think there would be rather easy ways to get over the mathematics part or oh, oh, we always have engineers so yeah <laughs> that's part of their job so we'll have to work with them i think it's okay yeah because i understand that yeah because architecture is not
0: just dealing with numbers it's more than that it's it's dealing with philosophy dealing with understanding of a place and more than that with user and things and go and go on. so when we talk about that i i I'm curious about how does the architectural education landscape in Australia or in your uni, do you think that it is like a practical
1: driven kind of uh, study mm. or is a philosophical focus? Uh, for me, I would speak in my own opinion. Okay, so for me, uh, I'm studying in uh, Deakin University and previously right. I was studying in UCSI and right. then in Taylor's in Malaysia. Right. So what I see, I think... Uh, for me, personally, the difference is one could be a lot more practical, which is in Malaysia, one is a lot more practical, more industry-based, uh, means like when after you graduate, you would be equipped with the knowledge that are very technical then could be used in the industry directly, mm-hmm. but um, not but, and in Australia it is different as in they want to brush up on your ideas, mm-hmm. which means that a lot of things would be more conceptual. So, mm-hmm. I think the what is shown to me is that techniques can be gained over time, but in terms of having the luxury to develop your ideas, that school is a great place for you to do that. So Australian schools would give you more time and more ideas and more resources to develop your ideas instead of just the production techniques, Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, And uh, it is usually, I think, when you're young, you, you would dream more. So I think that is a good combination, having that period where you would be, you would try your best to be creative. And mm-hmm. also have the facility to let you become creative in that conceptual way in architecture, in studying in Australia. But mm-hmm. it could differ from different schools to one another. Uh, right. Some schools are even more conceptual than the school that I am currently studying in. Right. And uh, some schools are more uh, industrial, which is more technical, like the one in Malaysia. Maybe there is, I- I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. the more mm-hmm. conceptual ones, yeah, that is true. Because I see more conceptual schools than the one I am studying at in uh, Deakin. So I think uh, it's a good blend, Uh, I think studying in Malaysia first to get all the technical skills covered, let's say like uh, all your software skills and Mm. all your general knowledge on on the buildings and uh, materials and stuff, and then going to Australia to study the more conceptual stuff, it's like you have a stronger foundation and stronger grip on the current reality and then you use that knowledge to, to further enhance your concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your master's degree, I think yeah I think it's a it's a good combination, a good linear progression uh, in terms of studying for me right Because I'm not sure what you meant by that
0: because I was thinking to ask you in the way that the your your current le- education uh, system works, it might be different from uh, countries by countries or it might be varies from undergrads and postgrad. so that's two different things at least you are doing now in a way that you are learning both because it's a master study. So when when it comes to master studies, I notice that you share a lot of your works um, with even juniors, face-to-face sharing session, or even you upload it online to share with everyone. And I notice your works, especially The Loop and Space on Earth, those are rather imaginary, uh, utopian-like, they are like a spaceship kind of idea. And the thing is, I found that both projects, they do have a significant drawings uh, with a very strong sense of geometry in circular form. May I know what is the projects about and how does that
1: relate in both projects or is just two separate projects? Okay, uh, so both of the projects, yes, both of them have uh, a circular form and it's more utopian. Some, a rather uh, paradoxical statement to mm. both my projects, which mm. is actually um, in the conception of this project I have like very utopian ideas. People want to live in a place as you design which right. I think is very wrong as uh, I'm currently doing my thesis like you cannot do a top-down approach on people which is the utopian school of thought which mm. we kind of are being taught in architecture. You build it and they will come. A lot of times I think that doesn't really uh, happen. You have mm-hmm. to design from the bottom up. So I would say that in both my project, The Loop and Space on Earth, it is uh, quite a good imaginary and also uh, conceptual practice. But if I could do it better, I would not do the utopian style again. I would try to mm-hmm. do something, some research on the current social problems and then I would do it from the bottom up. Right. Yeah, so yeah, in the sense of geometry that it is, in a circular form, yes. I, I also got the idea from uh, utopian utopian kind of movies because I uh, also usually watch movies to get ideas for my uh, architecture project school. So uh, let's say for Space on Earth, I watched about eight movies, and I I realized that out of the eight sci-fi movies, like mm-hmm. most of them have circular forms. So in terms of in terms of the form, the circular form is really captures the eye when you want people to think about futuristic designs. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of, of using the symbolic uh, gestures that already used by previous animators in the movies and, and architects and uh, futurists and uh, stuff like that. So I'm just trying to use the symbolism to create the feel of the architecture in my school project. Mm.
0: Because I noticed that you actually refer to some of the other architectural works. For example, like... Um archigram, for example, and you refer to their, for example, like working city. Those are the projects that I think at that point of time, the the architects are actually using the current situation, for example, at that time. So they imagine the future city by using the existing uh, data or information. And then you mentioned that they for, for utopians' ideas or projects, they are thinking from top to bottom and you just mentioned that the design should go from bottom to top. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like the utopian projects are like they they have an idea at the end, it's just that they have to work from the idea going, going down to the whole process instead of from the bottom to the top?
1: Uh, I think uh, uh, what I meant was. A lot of people try to impose top-down structures, uh, let's say, even in architectural design. That means right. uh, you forcefully have a design and you think that just because you have that forceful design, uh, very beautiful and very attractive, and it feels very ideally sociable, that right. doesn't mean that it would work. Right. Because uh, I've been uh, looking at a lot of utopian projects in my oh. thesis, and most of the two utopians, they all fail, all of them fail. And then uh, it is... It's quite a joke that most of the utopian projects are really large size and mm-hmm. they fail. And then, but then the only use for them, for the utopian projects now, is to be used as dystopian settings for movies. Mm-hmm. So, I, so to me, I think although I have done something you, uh, I have designed something very utopian. But I think uh, that is not necessarily the uh, best approach to architecture. For now, I think I am kind of going against myself, which mm-hmm. I'm saying that we must. We should design from the human level right. towards the progress, not not impose something that does not exist and try to force people to adapt to that ideal we have. Yeah, because in speaking of that, it sort of
0: reminds me to compare the drawings by Corbusier, for example. And then he did a master plan for France. And then when you compare to Archigrams, Walking Cities, So, these two projects are both, I would say they are both, they have the same quality of utopian because at that point of time, it might seem a little bit alien. And both projects are speaking of its time. And because both projects are actually speaking the needs at that time. So, that's why they come up with an idea and they envision the future of the city. It can be looks like this. So, do you think that utopian projects are actually? Imagine in such a way that following the time that the certain architect located, because it's like the utopian projects are actually based on certain time. Uh, okay.
1: So yes, I believe that uh, utopian projects such as the Walking City and and all the other ones you mentioned, uh, mm. they are based on a certain timeline, and that timeline is slightly after World War Two, uh, which you go uh into late capitalism, and then mm. also at that time it is the political uh spectrum. Rather on the left side, which is uh, more to socialism and communism, is widespread at the time. It is quite famous. Mm-hmm. So I think that that idea of having a technocratic architecture, mm-hmm. uh, it also influences the way that uh future cities are being designed. Uh, let, let me even uh, not a, a step further, but a step to the side. Let's say right. even at during that times, let's say like seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. if you realize that uh in rock rock and roll music. For example, mm, mm. there would be a rock and roll artists in the music videos playing guitar inside the spaceship. Mm. You're like, what the what the heck does a rock, rock and roll artist have to do with the spaceship? But that is what is hot at the time. So right. in a way, that architecture would move with the times. That the utopian idea of technocratic style architecture is famous at the time. So they it would have an influence on uh how it wants to project itself to the world. You know, very mm-hmm. uh, egalitarian, rather utilitarian, and mm. uh, also very futuristic at the same time. So it is just difference in perspective. As, as you said, the the
0: idea of a certain time reflected by the knowledge or the information available at that time, and then they're using the knowledge they have, they sort of have a vision for the next future. And you did mention about music as well, and I noticed that you have a certain interest in that. And music or movies, they have a certain realm that respond to a certain time. When you're talking about 90s, they do have 90s music. And then, of course, architecture have a 90s architecture style as well. And I see that your presentation also cooperated with those characters from movies, uh, musics, such as Crazy Rich Asians, um, Alita Battle Angels, or even singers from Bon Jovi, Aerosmith. So I wonder how does the idea comes from in a way that you actually brings the uh, musicians or singers or actors or characters into your presentation. I think it was in Space on Earth
1: where you can see the characters in your presentation board. In my presentation board of uh, Space on Earth project, I have, yes, uh, Crazy Rich Agents and Arita, Battle Angel, and Bon Jovi and Aerosmith because uh, I am trying to appeal to the generation of uh, futurism, retro futurism that my lecturers are quite accustomed to. Okay, so for example, when the first I told them about designing something uh, very futuristic, they told me Battle Angel, Alita Alita, Battle Angel because they probably seen the comic before and they watched the movie. So that is their first impression. So I say, okay, oh, that's something that they can relate. Okay, so let's go. further. So what they are exposed to in terms of sci-fi in movies or in music are things like Aerosmith, Aerosmith, he sang the song in Armageddon, so Mm. I could relate that. So I would put that character inside my presentation as well so that they could get the feel of that futurism. But it is like, oh, I've seen that before, so I am quite familiar with the idea, that kind of feeling. And then Mm. also, same thing goes with uh, Bon Jovi and then Crazy Rich Asians because... Uh, on my panel the lecturers uh three or three out of four of them are asian so that that also has some kind of uh familiarity that would give off a good vibe i think actually honestly i was trying to appeal to my uh critics of the project to give them something that they relate so because we do we do come from a different generation i am born after 96 and they are born i don't know maybe after the 70s or 70s or 80s so I, i'm not sure but there is a common ground that we can establish to contextualize what the feel of the architecture is. For example, mm. like Aerosmith, once you hear the band Aerosmith, you mm. Im- immediately think about Armageddon, the song, mm. and the spaceship, and the blasting mm. of death, right? So that would be a good place to start to contextualize the form of the architecture.
0: It is interesting that you actually thought of that in a way that you are pairing a new elements into your architectural presentation because when we look at a certain movies, especially those movies are really impactful for architectural landscape. I mean, of course, a lot of movies, they actually have architectures as the foreground, you know? So it's everywhere. Architecture is everywhere. But it's just that something that is much more exaggerated, I would say. For example, like the movie Blade Runner, they have exaggerates. The impact of architecture, about space, about lights as well. And it is clever that you're actually using the characters such as Bon Jovi or Aerosmith. So when people look into the character, they can understand, that, oh, uh, it reminds the playing of the music. I mean, even though you don't play the music, we're just looking into a picture and then we can imagine the background or the mood or the atmosphere you're trying to convey. And you did incorporated or included yourself into the part of the presentation board as well. I'm not sure is that you're trying to convey the same message as well, or it is another kind of graphic approach that you're trying to do. Because that sort of reminds me of a graphical layout in BR Ingalls. Yes, it's more. It's about mm-hmm. dialogues. It's about speech balloons
1: that you're talking in the board. Uh, so, I would like to say, oh, the first thing is uh, about the movies, so mm-hmm. uh, like you pointed out in architecture in uh, the movie Blade Runner, okay, let's say just say uh, Blade Runner, right. the idea of Blade Runner that I watch and the Blade Runner that my students watch is actually the different different versions of Blade Runner, the mm-hmm. one that they had watched is the one with uh, Harrison Ford, and right. the one I watched is the newer ones where uh, tall, sleek buildings and everything is almost black and red. Right. So, uh, there is a difference in what my generation and their generation conceptualize as uh, futurism. They are more mm. they are more towards retro futurism, and for us, it's more towards the futurism. Futurism. I mm. don't know how to say it exactly. Really? Uh, so yes, uh, there is very good uh, ideas that can be learned from both, and then they could be combined to create new ideas. And uh, I and that's what I hope to brought inside my project, uh, Space on Earth. Uh, the layout part is during my internship, I mm-hmm. read the book, uh, Yarke Ingels, B.I.G.'s Group's uh, right. uh, Yes is More. And mm-hmm. then I, had, I flipped through the pages of comics and then they have like one person there and then like mm-hmm. a speech bubble saying, what is this, what is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, uh, I adapted that style. It was really simplifying for me to understand what the uh, overall concept of a project is. So right. I think that if I could understand uh, a complex concept easily, right. in this way, why wouldn't I use it to explain my concept to other people? Uh, because I like to do what works, right? So mm. uh, if the comic style of architecture presentation works, I should also give it a try. So that's why I gave it a try and then they did understand what I was trying to, to relay to them. And uh, I, I think it was rather a really good experience because it was my first time doing it. I'm actually quite curious if there is any other architecture student that would do the same style and I would actually be very interested to see how their architecture comics would be.
0: Mm. Because by doing your presentation style, are you trying to convert your graphics into comics grid form? you know because typically what we saw is like a continuous, maybe A1, for example, but in your presentation board, you split it into certain grids or certain voids that allows your graphics to stand the the boxes that you stated. Do, do you see any difference when you do that? Because comics, right, when we trying to perceive, is in the book form. It's rather small, maybe like A5 or A4. So do you see any impact that it's been
1: elevated when it comes to a one size? I, I think uh, in terms of uh, layout, the comic layout, if you look at comics, you realize that every frame in the comic highlights one part of the storyline they would like to portray. So mm. I think it is a very smart way of projecting your ideas, which means that sometimes the whole project could look really, really huge and you do not know where to start with. Mm. So if you have that kind of comic that says, okay, for now, in this frame, look at this part. In the second frame, look at this part and on the third frame you look at that part. Mm. So it kind of gives sort of visual clarity. And All also right. if you need to put it on an A1 piece of paper, that actually depends on your own board composition, how you want to put it. Uh, because I might not have the best way to arrange it. Maybe I think there's a lot of you who can arrange it better than me. And yeah, they they are they are free to do so uh to further elaborate their own project. But the point that every single frame could bring out the very special qualities of every different part within your project—that is something that uh, we could actually learn from comic and could be integrated into our architecture projects if it is suitable.
0: So, are you are you trying to say that it is quite similar because we just spoken about musics and movies as well? So, the idea of that you know boxes is like the key images in like a film, and then when you pull out, you see the images that. You know, splitting in in one film kind of thing.
1: I think, uh, in terms of let's say uh, the comic and the music artist and the architecture together, uh, mm. it is uh, for me it is more like um, using all those different elements to create a feel, an atmospheric feel. Right. For me, the entire project is kind of focused on how do you make people feel the architecture just by looking at it mm. by not going into details for example let's just say a very common example of a cookie cutter uh, franchise mm. like if you see the architecture of mcdonald's mm. from the outside you would know how it feels like you already know how it feels mm. because it projects the atmospheric value that it has through its own kind of symbolism so what i did with the uh, having all the uh, different retrofuturism and the futurism and all the movie movie uh, elements inside my project space on earth was kind of using symbolism to try to create uh, the field for that architecture project mm.
0: so you are trying to uh, explore in a new idea um maybe it's not something new but you are trying to excavate a new meaning of graphics it's not just by doing but you have to think what you did so before we end this podcast and i wonder that do you have any future plan that you think probably you would doing after graduate?
1: After my graduation, uh, currently what I would think about which is quite obvious in mm. this line is I would go for the 2 year practice and then I'll get the architecture license right. uh, because I would like to complete the entire process but right. also I I think I would not I would not shut down the fact that the education industry is currently on the rise. Because as population increase, we would we are having more and more opportunities in education. And honestly speaking, I see a lot, quite a lot of educators are getting paid quite well, even though it is just their starting year. Right. So maybe there is an opportunity in combination of uh, education and architecture. For example, this podcast, I I think it is a combination of architecture and education as well, because you are mm-hmm. trying to educate people of about architecture uh, by expanding their perspectives through podcasts, which is a kind of educational tool. Yeah. So. I think, uh, yeah, I think education, it would go a long way. I think it would go side by side with architecture. You learn something, then you produce something, then you teach people something. So, yeah, but this is not a new idea. I'm just thinking that, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities that would go around there. Of course, uh, we as architects, we have to, uh, I think sometimes architects can be very, a bit too idealistic. Uh, For example, uh, a lot of uh, you have really really high dreams of wanting to build this and that, a lot of Hmm. mega projects and and if you take a look at let's say current situation in Australia, uh, the architecture industry is the second lowest growth in Australia, it was like 2%, 2% growth each year, you have to think about that, so that means that there's not a lot of money in the market, so if you don't have architecture industry, right, so design business, if you don't have business, you cannot produce the design. Mm. things like that, you have to think more multifaceted like how you're yeah. taught in architecture school just from one side, you have to think from many, many different sides, right? Yeah. So, and then also, uh, another thing that I would like to point out is, I, I don't know if the numbers are exactly correct, last time I checked online that the architecture industry in, in the entire world is about a $9 billion business, right? But AutoCAD itself, the Autodesk company, makes $20 billion a year, mm. so you see do, do you see that there is a huge difference in, in market size and opportunity there. Nine billion industry and AutoCAD Autodesk company makes twenty billion a year. Mm. Or, or was it twenty billion their companies? No. I'm not I I am not very sure but if but if you can just see that there is a difference between an entire industry and one company itself. So uh, I, I would say that the students should not just limit everything, all of their perspectives, just looking at design, because that actually uh, shuts them out from a lot of different options that they might encounter, but they would, blindfully, they would blindfully ignore, because they do not open their eyes up to whatever that surrounds them, the opportunities that surround them, and they could act on it. Yeah,
0: because you did mention that there is other opportunity offered in architectural industry, because... In architecture itself, it's not just about keep on designing things or creations. But like you said, it's it's things like tools, like Autodesk, or you might think about like construction industry. That's another new realm that we can look into. I was trying to say that we don't have to limit ourselves or our designers in a way that it is not just about designing buildings. You can venture into other sector, for example, like product designs, for example, furniture, you know, or even products like Autodesk, like you say, they can, the architect's roles in that sense are very important because they are the one used for very, very long time. And they can actually become sort of like a consultant for the tools. I mean, more than that, there's a lot of things. And you did mention about education, because the moment I think to do this podcast is because it is I mean podcast is not new but it's just I was thinking to open a new page to share ideas through podcasts because architecture itself is not just one body but it's interconnected with other sectors. So podcast is sort of like a I would say entertainment or like a broadcasting kind of idea. So when it comes to education, it's all about sharing or the embracement about embracing the idea of knowledge that can be shared all around the world. Um, do you have any message or advice would you like to share particularly for juniors or anyone who wish to enroll into
1: architecture? Mm. For anyone who like to enroll in architecture, I think, okay, a little bit, a small one for mm. people who are currently already enrolled in ar- architecture. Okay. Right. So uh, this one is like this. Uh, Have you, have you like, this, this is my observation. Right. Uh, have you realized that before, let's just say, take social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, architecture students before they entered uh, architecture, if you look at across their social media, a lot of the times they would all have on their feed a lot of colorful images, right? right? Everything colorful. A lot of things are uh, a very striking color, and then and then uh, like everything's like more lively. But once they step into architecture, you could see that even from their social media that uh, a lot of pictures are black and white, right? A okay. lot of their profile photos uh, don't actually show their face. Okay. And uh, a lot of things look very still. They are not moving anymore. Right. So, okay. I just want you... Okay. But that is that is that that is what happens across... Uh, I mean, it's very obvious, right? You can see no matter what school you are, that is a style of how an architecture student would take a photo. Okay. And then, okay, let's just have that there. So I want you to have that uh, in the back of your mind. Okay. So could it be that... Because architecture school have taught you to think in one general direction, and that caused you to create, to express yourself, even in social media, to look the same, like an architecture student, uh, as to say. Like, for example, let's say if you look at my architecture, my my uh, social media, let's say my Instagram, you realize that uh, actually write on my bio, bio that I'm an architecture student, you wouldn't even like, no, I'm an architecture student because I don't, let's say, accept and adopt that mm. uh, photographic style of an architecture student typically would, right? right. So I think that it, it's, quite, uh, it's quite dangerous. Like back to the willfully blind blind thing I talked about uh, in the previous comment is you should not just think about life uh, in the way that architecture school had taught you. Mm. You should not just, just say, oh, uh, because you have all these ideologies, we must work within the ideologies. I think you have to think more than just the ideology and not become stuck to one. I think it is better to have to know different different ideologies and then see what you can learn from each of them and not being particularly attached to one, so that you can uh, move move around in different different ideas with uh, fluidity or or even in your life with this different fluidity, so you don't get stuck on just one particular path. And and because if you get stuck on one particular path, let's say uh, if you get stuck on a straight line and you stop and that's the that's the end. That, then you die. So, okay. and then if one thing fails, everything else fails. I, th- I don't think that is a very good strategy Yeah, I don't think having that idea that, oh, if I adopt this one idea and I keep moving forward with this idea, I would succeed. That is actually quite uh, devastating uh, because most of the time, things don't work. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's better to have a lot of different ideas and not get attached to one so that, okay, let's say this doesn't happen. Okay, maybe let's branch out. Let's see what, can I go left, can I go right, or should I turn back, or should I make a U-turn? Or mm-hmm. stuff like that. So do not get stuck on one single idea of what things should be and what things could be. You you must have you must develop your own uh, ideas of which can which is a combination of other people's ideas and different different mm-hmm. uh, ideologies. So don't just get stuck to one because it is very limiting and it would cause you to have some willful blindness to whatever happens uh, around you. So I would like to close with uh, this quote by John Lennon from The Beatles. It says, "Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans." All right. Thank you very much, Yu Jing. So here comes to the end of
0: our podcast. And please support us on Spotify and also XYZ Instagram. Thank you very much and see you again.